Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. So last week, last week we were in chapter 12 because that's what comes before chapter 13 in Corinthians. We were in chapter 12 and we learned about how Jesus has given us his followers supernatural abilities through his Holy Spirit. Now, in, in this letter, Paul refers to them as gifts of the Spirit. And many of us, we've heard that name, but sometimes we just call them spiritual gifts. Something interesting that we learned is that the purpose of these abilities or spiritual gifts is to use them for the common good. So when I use a spiritual gift that God has given me, it should be for my good and for yours and vice versa, right? That was something that we learned. And that's supposed to be a benefit or a strengthening for the entire church. We learned also that we are to eagerly desire the greater gifts, which means to eagerly desire the gifts which are the most helpful for the situation that our church may be in. But listen to what Paul says next. We actually stopped half a verse short of reading every verse in 1 Corinthians 12. The last thing that Paul says is, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So the phrase, the most excellent, means superior or surpassingly better than anything else. So Paul has been talking about the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit given to us, yet there's something even better? Yeah, in God's eyes, that's a, that's a big 10-4. So pay close attention today. I believe that God is going to reveal his heart once again in this famous passage that we've, we've read many times. Let me pray one more time, and then we're going to dive into verse 1 of chapter 13. Lord, all we want to know is your heart for us. We just want to know your truth. We don't want to read into a passage what we think it's supposed to say, but we want to understand it in its proper context. So, Jesus, would you please help us to block out anything, any prejudices or stereotypes or preconceived ideas about 1 Corinthians 13. And I pray that we would see it with new eyes, with your eyes today. Amen. All right. So here we are at the beginning of, of 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul has just made this huge transitional statement. He's talking all about spiritual gifts. And he says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And then he begins to describe what that is, starting in verse 1 of chapter 13. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So once again, chapter 12, Paul's speaking all about the gifts of the Spirit. One of those is the gift of tongues, right? Which is the God-given ability to speak in a language that you do not know. Which is pretty amazing, right? Like it's, it's outstanding that God would allow us to do that. But... Paul says here, if someone uses that gift of tongues, a supernatural, amazing gift from God, yet in their heart, they do not have love, that, that gift that is supposed to be for the common good to build up the church, it, it's reduced to being just a loud noise, like a, a clanging cymbal or a resounding gong, right? So a gift, a supernatural gift of the spirit used without love is reduced to something far less than what it's meant to be. That's the point of what Paul's getting at here. And he says the same thing again in another way in verse 2. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy 
And I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Other translations of the Bible actually say I am useless, which is a little bit more common to maybe the way that we talk. So prophecy, knowledge, and faith that are mentioned here in verse 2, all of those are gifts that Paul talked about in chapter 12. But here he says that a person who has those gifts without love is nothing. A person like this has a supernatural ability given to them by the Holy Spirit, yet the absence of love in their hearts has caused them to be of no use or to be nothing in the way that they're supposed to be for the common good of all people. So it's interesting. Love is obviously very important here. Verse 3, it says, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So here Paul goes beyond the gifts of the Spirit. Giving to the poor and enduring hardship are teachings that Jesus himself offered. Of course, it's good to live generously and to be willing to self-sacrifice, right? But, once again, these actions, independent of love, are of no use. A person who goes through these kinds of motions, as good as they may seem on the outside, but executes them without love, gains nothing or produces nothing of value. So we're seeing very quickly and clearly here what the most excellent way is. Love is the most excellent way. There is no gift, ability, ministry, service, or sacrifice that is pleasing to God unless it is done with love for God and for our people. You know, it kind of made me think about if love is so important, if love is, is the key ingredient to anything that we do that is pleasing or honoring to God. Like, where does love originate? Like, where does it come from? How do we make sure that we're allowing it to take place in our lives? And as I was pondering that, it reminded me of Luke 6, verse 45, which says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Now, would you agree with me, friends, this morning that love is good? Okay, let's just say it together. Love is good. Yeah, sometimes we just need to state the obvious to make sure that we understand these things, right? So, right, right here in this verse, Jesus is saying that the heart is the center of our being, right? Our heart is ground zero for our will, our motives, our desires, our emotions, our affections. God makes his home in our hearts, the Bible says. He brings change and renewal to our hearts. And it's with the heart that we are able to love. That's why Jesus included in Mark 12, verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? That's ground zero. That's where emotion and love originates. So using gifts correctly depends on love. And we're seeing here that love is a matter of the heart. We come back to the heart so often in the messages that we're seeing here, especially in 1 Corinthians, because our hearts are so important to God. Following Jesus, functioning properly as his church, and living a life that is pleasing to God is always a matter of the heart first. It's not just doing the right things on the exterior, but it actually starts inside of us. That's where change takes place. And emphatically today... We're seeing that it's a heart full of love that is crucial even 
for a supernatural, miraculous, God-given ability to be of any value. Isn't that humbling, actually? It made me kind of wonder about this for a moment, too. Like, is it possible that I could have a supernatural gift of the Spirit in my life, yet I have made it useless simply because I'm a person who lives without love? It's, it's so crazy humbling to know that God desperately wants to interact with us and empower us for his good and his glory. Yet at the same time, we can be the, our, our own worst enemy and make the, the goodness of God taking place right in our own kitchen. We can make that something that is rendered moot. But what kind of love are we talking about here? What is this love that we're meant to have? What is it supposed to look like? How do I know if the love that I have in my heart is actually the love that God desires? These are also questions that I ask too, because you begin to kind of panic and you wonder, it's like, Oh man, like I think I'm loving. I I try to be loving. I want to be loving. I I love to be loving. I just don't know if the love that I have is the love that Jesus is searching out in me. And we kind of get into this spiritual panic attack, right? It's okay. Just let's all take a deep breath. Thankfully, here in verses 4 to 8, right here in, verse, in 1 Corinthians 13, we have one of the most comprehensive descriptions of godly love in all of Scripture. And we're going to read about the attributes of love that Jesus desires to see in each of us. So I, I know we don't do this all the time, but I was wondering, would we be able to stand and read this passage together? We're going to read it slowly, okay? Like it almost might feel awkwardly slow. But I want that to happen so that we actually kind of let these words marinate. So just follow my voice. I'm going to try and go nice and slow today. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Awesome. You did great. Have a seat. So in this passage, in just these few verses... Paul lists 16 amazing attributes of God-honoring love. And it's interesting, last week Paul didn't go into great detail about each of the gifts of the Spirit that are listed in chapter 12. He mentioned them, but he didn't offer a ton of specifics about them. He spent most of that chapter talking about how the gifts are meant for the common good and how we belong to each other and how we're meant to be unified as one body. Yet here in 13, when we're talking about, yet I will show you the most excellent way, Paul makes sure that we understand comprehensively what love is supposed to be like. I just love that. I think it's so amazing that God in in his wisdom showed Paul the right emphasis, right? A guy who used to hate Christians and kill Christians and throw them in jail. That's what Paul used to be. Wouldn't it be the love of Christ that transformed his heart? It wouldn't have been exterior actions. It would, it would have been something inside, right? So if there was anyone who understood what love was supposed to look like, 
because he had been doing it wrong for so long, it would have been Paul. You know, I, I, did, I didn't even think about that this week. Like literally those thoughts just came to me right now. Isn't that so good? That we can be the people on the worst side of understanding with Christ, yet because of his grace and mercy, he says, no, I'm going to reveal to you what the most important thing is, the most excellent way. And I want you not only to know it, but I want you to teach it. That's so cool that, that Jesus would do that for Paul. This week I probably read the verses on the screen here, verses 4 to 8a, this description of love. I kid you not, probably like 50 times. I think, just as a side note, I think it's good to do that when we're reading the Bible. Don't be in a rush, right? Like, take time to read and reread a passage. It doesn't have to be 50 times. It could be three or four. But what happens is when we spend time marinating in the scriptures, we let them flow over us by being familiar with them once, twice, three times, four times. All of a sudden, we catch different details and different things stand out to us that we didn't hear the first, second, or third time. But maybe that fourth time, it's like, man, I've never thought of that. And I just read this thing three times. This is what meditating on scripture is. We give God time for his word to speak to us. One thing that really stuck out to me the more I read verses 4 to 8 was something near the end of these verses. It was the word always because it appears four times. And the word never, because it appears once. So here's why it stuck out to me. In our house, we try to avoid using the words always and never when we're speaking about someone else. I try not to say to my kids, you guys always make a mess. Because it's not true. They don't always make a mess, right guys? Yeah, sometimes. They they don't always make a mess. Sometimes they do. But I can't say that they always make a mess because it would be an untrue statement. It would be an exaggeration. And at the same time, we also try to refrain from using the words never. Like if Lucy and Easton said, Dad, you never take us for ice cream at the queue. That's not true. We've been there before, right, guys? See, I'm a good dad. So we've been there before. So they can't say that we've never gone for ice cream at the queue because we have. We've been there before. So that's another exaggeration. Always and never take things that are more in the middle and they send them to their extremes, right? It's like an exaggeration. So I kind of wondered here, huh, is Paul exaggerating about love? Is he using hyperbole, something that's not even true or possible to help us to understand it? And the answer is no. Isn't that amazing? Paul is using always and never in their truest form. The love of Christ for us and the love that we are meant to have for Jesus and for others is always, always meant to protect, trust, hope, and persevere. And this same love that we are commanded to have here, that is the only kind of love that's going to make these supernatural gifts worthwhile, this same kind of love is never meant to fail. It's never meant to cease. It's never meant to be stilled. It's never meant to end. So even in the first part of this passage where we don't actually see the words always or never, to me, they're implied. When Paul says love is patient, that's what it is. 
It's always patient, right? Love can never be impatient. If I lose my patience with someone, in that moment I have ceased to love them because now I am no longer willing to hold back my temper. I'm replacing patient love with anger towards someone. And that's not love, is it? It's, it, it's, it's humbling to think about it like that because when I, when I was considering the times where I lose my patience with someone, when a, when a, when a ball player doesn't run out a, a ground ball to first base and easily gives up, I say, come on, man, you got to hustle. What's your problem? This, this is about the team. It's not about you. It's like, maybe I'm right. Maybe. But that would be an impatient way of communicating that message. And in that moment, it's not loving. Do you see what I mean? Friends, is that making sense? So another example here is, is love is not self-seeking. So love never seeks to get its own way, right? And it's always looking to be used for the common good. When it's in common, that means it's good for everyone, not just for self. So we could break down each characteristic of love that Paul lists here, but I don't think that's actually the main point of this passage. To me, the point that we're supposed to learn here is that the kind of godly love Paul is teaching about is unchanging. It's permanent, and it's meant to be here to stay. Love is not only the most excellent way, it's the only way. Love is God's standard for God's people. In Romans 13 verse 10, it says, Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. So when we see the word law, we think singular, right? And sometimes, well, which law? Which, which law is love fulfilling the requirement of? No, no, no. It's not a law. It's the law, the entire law. Always it is what is fulfilling the law of God. That's another all-encompassing statement. That's an always or never kind of statement, right? The requirements of God's moral law will never change so neither will the standard of love that we are meant to have in our lives. So this description about love is the first major part of a contrast that Paul is making. Love is always like this, he tells us in verse 4 to 8. Then starting in, in 8b, he says, But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Oh. So the gifts of the Spirit, for example, prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, won't last forever? Exactly. These gifts are not meant to be permanent. Verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. So the gifts of the Spirit are wonderful, but they are just an aid to help us as we wait for Jesus Christ to return. If the gifts of the Spirit revealed everything perfectly to us, why would we need Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? I don't operate perfectly in the gifts of the Spirit. You don't operate perfectly in the gifts of the Spirit. So have we reached what some translations call perfection, or have we reached what this translation calls completeness? No, we need Jesus. We still need him. We're still waiting for him to come back. If the gifts of the spirit made me complete, I wouldn't need Jesus. 
And that's not what Jesus is after. That's not the goal. The fact is these gifts don't reveal everything perfectly. Verse 9 teaches us that we have partial knowledge and partial prophecy, not complete knowledge and not complete prophecy. So these gifts give us hints and clues and steps along the way, but they don't give us the whole picture. They haven't completed everything for us. When Jesus returns to earth, he alone brings everything and everyone to completion. When that happens, the gifts that we uh, are the gifts that just revealed a hint or a clue in partiality about Christ, they will disappear. That's what verse 10 is saying. Think of it this way. This is a, my own analogy. I just I came up with this week. As Christians, our life is like putting together a puzzle, okay? As we learn more about Christ, we receive more pieces to the puzzle and more understanding about the ways that they're meant to fit together. So think of just understanding your need for Jesus before you even became a Christian. You understanding, oh, I need to be forgiven for my sins. I need a Savior. That's one puzzle piece. One puzzle piece. And you set that down, and now you're like, what's next? And then... You choosing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that joins in perfectly to you knowing that you need to put your, tr- your trust in Jesus Christ. So now you have two puzzle pieces, and they fit together. It's like, okay, we're, we're starting a puzzle here. We have two pieces that are put together, right? And then as we learn more things, like learning that we need to obey him, or love him, or make disciples, or invest in the lives of others, or grow in character, those are all more puzzle pieces that we take and we add into what we've got started with this relationship with Jesus. As we learn that we need to surrender our will to Jesus, learn to hear Jesus' voice, learn to trust God to lead us, be connected to our church. As we learn that we need to pray consistently and be in the word consistently, because those are the things that nourish us in our relationship with Jesus, those are more puzzle pieces that get added in. So all of those things are beginning to complete a puzzle, yet they haven't completed it yet. The gifts of the Spirit, while we live on this earth, we're completing this puzzle, they are like helps that allow us to put puzzle pieces together more easily. Because Jesus understands me better than I understand myself. So the gifts that he gives me in my life and the gifts that he gives you in your life, they're going to help me to understand the pieces that I need to add into my life with Jesus. And the gifts that I have and that other people have are going to help you to understand the pieces that you need to add into your life with Jesus. You may have gone to church for 30 years and never cracked your Bible open once. And then all of a sudden someone says, hey, what are you reading in your Bible lately? And then you say... Nothing. I haven't read my Bible for three decades. And then you're like, huh, maybe I should do that. Maybe there's something I can get from it. Oh, that's a huge puzzle piece, right? That's a big one. So we don't want to miss these things at all. And that's why the Holy Spirit speaks into my life or your life, giving us wisdom so that we can share it with each other. That's a good thing. The gifts of the Spirit are like helps. They give us clues about where things fit and which piece fits next. Jesus' return to earth one day will complete everyone's puzzle. Whether they are just a few pieces away from completion in their mind or in reality, or if they only have two or three pieces put together, at that point, Jesus' return will bring to completion everything that they are lacking. If a puzzle is complete, do we need more help? about where to put the next piece. No. The puzzle is done. And this is what verse 9 and 10 are getting at. They teach us about life 
now as we get ready, as we're waiting for Jesus compared to what life will be like when Jesus is actually here again. We are living with part of the puzzle completed, but Jesus will complete everything that we've been waiting for. I hope that that analogy makes sense. Paul offers a couple of his own analogies here just to enhance his uh, discussion a little bit more too, to help us understand what it means when Christ brings things to completion. Verse 11, he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. A lot of people have read that verse and think about spiritual maturity and how that's what gives you greater gifts. That's what moves you away from just rudimentary gifts, apparently, because apparently people think there are some gifts that are greater than others in their rank or in their status, and they think it's about maturity. It's actually not about that at all. When Christ comes again, we will have outgrown our need for spiritual gifts like a child outgrows the way that they think, talk, and reason. Right? Like, I'm not going to operate in heaven with the same ignorance that I have here on earth. Praise the Lord, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. And none of you will either, right? We're not going to talk and think and reason like we did here on earth. We're going to have this completed mind and heart where everything that we long for to be like Jesus is what we're going to be able to experience in the fullness that we've always been hoping for. And we're not going to miss this life. I mean, I loved my childhood. I don't miss it. I love what I'm doing right now. And when we're in heaven, we're going to say, I love living on earth and learning more about Jesus, but I don't want to go back. I don't want to think like a child again. I want everything that Christ has come to complete in me. That's so good. I love that. Verse 12 says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Another way to look at it is this. Right now we are looking in a mirror. We see just a reflection, a version of the truth, but not the real thing, not the real McCoy. Kind of like when we read the Bible or spend time praying and listening for the Holy Spirit. We can understand much about Jesus through doing these things, but as the previous verses mentioned, we have partial knowledge and partial prophecy. But when Jesus comes again... We're not going to have to look in a mirror. We're not going to have to look in the Bible to, to see him or to understand him. We're going to actually see Jesus face to face. We won't have to settle for a reflection or a spiritual gift to use as a tool to help us to see God. He'll be standing right in front of us. We will be in the presence of our Lord and be able to look at him with our own two eyes. Talk to him with our own mouth and hear him with the most profound clarity with our own ears. We won't need a pastor. Have you ever thought about that? My job will be obsolete in heaven. We won't need a pastor. We won't need a teacher, an apostle, or a prophet to help us to know Jesus. Because we're going to know him fully, not partially. Just like Jesus knows us fully, not partially right now. What an awesome thought. Like it's, it's just so humbling that we even get to look forward to this and that Jesus has revealed this to us in scripture now so that the life that we live is full of hope. Like I have hope in my life because I know that this partial understanding is, is not going to be partial forever. 
I live with hope, knowing that 1 Corinthians 14, which I've studied ahead and is kicking my butt, I know that the partial understanding that I'm going to share with you next week in heaven, maybe we'll go over it again. I'll say, okay, guys, now that Jesus is here, I think I got this figured out, but oh, you don't need me anymore. That's right. (laughs) I'm just blown away yet again that we will get to see Jesus face to face. Hallelujah. So once again, the point is, the gifts of the Spirit are for this life. They're for right now. They won't last forever. But love, on the other hand, is part of this life now. And love is meant to continue forever in the life that we will have in eternity with Jesus. So Paul concludes his thoughts in verse 13 saying this. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, just a reminder guys, don't get carried away. The greatest of these is love. When something remains... And that's, a, that's a, a word that we see often as Jesus talks about remaining in him in, in John 15. When something remains, it stays in play. It lasts forever. It keeps going and going and going eternally, right? So even though spiritual gifts don't last forever, our faith and trust in Jesus Christ is supposed to remain. It's supposed to last. That's something that we cling to. We don't make a decision here and say, okay, well, that's done. On to the next thing and we leave it in the dust. No, we we remain in that faith. We hold on to it. Our hope and our confident expectation of of eternity with Jesus. That's supposed to remain. Because if we lose that hope, our eyes have fallen off of Christ and onto something else. So we need to remain in that hope. And certainly the love that Christ fills our lives with, that we are supposed to love Jesus and love others with, that love must remain. Faith, hope, And love are all excellent for sure. But remember, the greatest is always love. So I just want to share a couple of my own thoughts to conclude this morning. We've talked today about the lasting importance of love. But we've also seen how the gifts of the Spirit won't have that same lasting importance. They are wonderful for sure, but they are for now. And they will cease when the Lord returns. You know, gifts of the Spirit is a term that we use for a category of supernatural abilities that the Holy Spirit gives us. Love also falls under a category. If you've read Scripture enough, you'll see that it's lumped in with some other things. And in in Galatians 5.22, we see what that category is called. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. So we have gifts of the Spirit, and we have fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is, is just another way of saying the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives to produce God-honoring results. That's what fruit is. Jesus says something I, I feel is super important as we're on this topic today. And in John 15, verse 8, Jesus says, This is to my Father's glory. And here's what the this is. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So for me, this is a, a definitive statement that helps us understand even more What Paul is highlighting for us today. Jesus says that we give glory to God. We honor him. Not by being given gifts. But by bearing fruit. Isn't that interesting? Because there's there's such an emphasis on gifts. That we've seen in the last chapter in a bit. Right? So some people might say. Well then we should be just focusing on gifts all the time. No. The greatest of these is love. The most excellent way is love. And Jesus says. Fruit of the spirit. Which one of those is love. That's what brings honor to God and proves that we are his disciples. 
So many times in my life, I've, I've seen Christians or I've come across different churches or denominations that they get all worked up about the Holy Spirit given gifts, powers, and abilities. They are wonderful. I am not throwing cold water on any of these things at all. Do not hear what I'm not saying. The, the, the gifts of the Spirit are wonderful and good, and they're useful and needed in our churches. But they aren't the thing. Entire churches and denominations have been caught up in gifts, 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 gifts. And that's all they care about. They actually don't care if you produce fruit. They don't care if you love. They just say, Holy Spirit, just come and do something radical. We just want to all be overtaken by you. And I don't care if it's for the good of the church. We just want to experience the Holy Spirit so that we feel good. That's not the purpose of gifts, is it? It's for the common good. And you can't be for the common good if you don't have love. So we can't get swept up with the gifts. It's a good thing, but it's not the thing. After all, remember, Jesus says that, that gifts help, or fruit is the thing. Spiritual fruit is the goal. Gifts help us to produce spiritual fruit. And not only that, you know, with this whole thing of the, the importance of fruit over gifts, not only that, but we actually prove ourselves to be disciples of Jesus by bearing fruit. I, you know, there's that passage that it says where at the end of days when Jesus comes again, many will say, Lord, Lord, and we prophesied in your name. We did all these things in your name. And what's Jesus' response? Do you remember? I didn't know you, right? So what, what helps us to know someone? Loving them, having a relationship with them. Is it possible that there are Christians in churches all across America who are operating with gifts, but they don't actually know the one who gave them the gifts. Like, isn't that a terrifying thought? And I'm not, I'm not trying to freak anyone out here, but I think that, again, shows us the importance of love. That shows us the importance of fruit. The gifts are not the end. They're a means to the end. They are what help us to produce the life that Jesus is honored by. So we have to remember that those things, gifts and love equals fruit. That's the way it goes. That's what we're seeing here. So I'm ending this way today because I want to invite you to join me in the pursuit of fruitfulness for Jesus. And I think why not start with love, right? Like if there is nothing else, nothing more excellent than love, why wouldn't we start there? I, I've, I, I wrote up a, a prayer sheet. It's called the love prayer sheet. It's on the back table. It's available for all of you when you leave. If we run out of copies, let me know. I'll run off more. But what this, what this sheet is meant to do is to be kind of a, a personal examination of where we're at with love in our lives. Like, okay, Lord, the most excellent thing is love. Let's start there. That's clearly what you want to emphasize. And there's going to be some things on here that you should be praying, and it's, it's going to lead you right through it. You're going to pray about God's love, thanking him for his love. I mean, we have to appreciate it if we're going to desire it, right? If we don't appreciate the love that God gives us, why would we want to be like him? So we appreciate it. We just thank him. We understand that it's so comprehensive and all throughout scripture that the love of Christ is what makes us who we are. And then we thank him for that, and then we say, well, Lord, I, I want that in my life too. And we ask questions and we say, Lord, is there a, maybe part of the characteristics that we read today in 4 verse 8 or 4 to 8, one of those characteristics that I need to work on. I, I, I don't want to be good at some things and then just totally ignore the others. I actually want you to, to fulfill the completeness of love in me as best you can until you come again. 
Who wants to be like 99% complete when Jesus comes? I do. I want to work towards that. You know, I know that I'll never get there, but I don't want to just say, hey, you know, 25%, good enough, whatever, right? I want to be working hard to show Jesus that I actually care about becoming like him instead of just waiting for him to fix up a massive wreck over here. I'd rather have him just finish up a job, polishing up a job on this other side because my desires are for him. So I think uh, this love prayer sheet, I hope, will help us with that. So it'll be available to you at the back. Um, But I think just to close the message here this morning, I think I'd like to be quiet just for a moment. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us about love already. Yeah, we'll we'll just see what he has to say. Karen, why don't you come on up while while we're praying and listening together. Lord Jesus, I'll admit that this, uh, this 1 Corinthians 13 passage, it changed me at least a little bit. I hope a lot this week. Just reading once again this so famous chapter, but reading it again in the context that it's meant to be regarded in. Reading what Paul's main point is, this huge contrast between the temporary gifts, but the permanency of love and understanding Jesus, that gifts are not the end. They're a means to the end. And the end is fruitfulness. The end is completion in you and character. Help us, Jesus, to be, just be as loving as you want us to be. Lord, I, I, I just want to ask, is there something about love that maybe we haven't highlighted today that you want us to know in our hearts right now? We just want to listen. We're going to be quiet, Lord. Jesus, is there anything else that you want to say into our hearts about your love this morning? You're reminding me, Jesus, of that verse that says, May you experience the love of Christ, though you will never fully understand it. So maybe that's just the the humility that we need to have as we strive for love. We're not striving for perfection, Jesus. We're striving for you. And we pray that as we abide with you, as we go through this prayer sheet, as we spend time in your word, we just ask that you give us a greater understanding of love, a greater desire to love, even though we know that on this side of heaven, we're never going to fully understand just how amazing this is. Thank you for your grace in all these things, Jesus. Amen.